What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 324 of the AMPM podcast. We've got a really good episode for you this time. My guest is Anthony Lee. We talk a little bit about his background in the Amazon space and how he worked for several different companies, including Helium 10 at one point. And then we dive deep into AI and how AI is going to make a profound difference in everything we do as an e-commerce, specifically as an Amazon seller. I think you're going to really, really enjoy this episode and learn a lot. Welcome to the AMPM podcast. Welcome to the AMPM podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King. Anthony Lee, welcome to the AMPM podcast. It's great to have you on. It's a pleasure um, and an honor, actually. I've never been on this specific podcast, and uh, so I'm really excited that this is my first time. Yeah, there might be a reason for that, uh, that you haven't been on. It's because at one point you worked for the enemy. You worked for another <laughs> company that was competing with Helium 10. Uh, so that might have been uh, back when Manny was doing it. Uh, that might have been the reason that you didn't come on. You could probably say that a couple of times over. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've worked for or with too many at this point. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing this Amazon game since what about 2014 or so? Yeah, that's when I started. 2014. Uh, it was crazy too because it all kind of just like rushed all at the same time. So I started my own brand, uh, did really well, really fast, and then all of a sudden. You know, at the time, Ryan Moran was my mentor, and Ryan was like, I have some friends that need help with Amazon. Do you do you want to be a consultant? And it was like literally overnight, everything changed. It's like, okay, well, then I guess I'm going to tell these people what I did. And so I took on clients, and then another friend was like, hey, I'm starting a service, and I need your help. And that's when I went to work with Zonblast, and this all happened like within six months. It was nuts. For those that weren't around back then, and maybe they just started selling in the last few years, uh, can you? What was Zonblast? Uh, it was a major player for a while there, and like the go-to place, them and Viral Launch. Uh, but you guys, I think, were bigger. Uh, what What was Zonblast, and how did that work? So Zonblast was, as far as I know, the first uh, like product launch. Uh, service specifically for the purpose of helping Amazon sellers rank for keywords. And so at the humble beginnings, before it ever actually became a SaaS, what we were doing, no lie, was individually emailing our list with our client's product uh, promotions. So, you know, it was coupon based back when you could do 100% coupons before they, you know, Amazon stopped that. And, uh, and my job, my first job for the company before I helped, you know, templatize it and scale it out. And then we became a SaaS was to write those emails. So yeah, fun times. Well, how did they build that email list? Was it some other products that a list that they had or did they run Facebook ads to build that list? So originally it started with the owners. Uh, so he started Amazon as well and mm -hmm. he created a list for his brand and he realized, you know, I could blast out coupons and, and rank my products. And then he was like, oh man, these guys are going to get bored if I don't start offering them other stuff because I only have so many products. So it started with his list. 
and then we ran Facebook ads and then we ran Pinterest ads. And next thing you know, it was just a whole like ads pipeline into this other list of buyers. So then we had two, you know, the, the seller list and the buyer list. So back then, those of you who don't know, the about 2015, 2016, and, and Zomblast was basically the pioneer in this method, that you actually could, to launch your product, to literally you could launch to the top of the page in, in hours a lot of times. You would go out, like Zomblast, like he said, they, initially they would email this list of people and say, hey, we've got this new uh, uh, fidget spinner or whatever it is. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> You go, you know, it's normally nineteen ninety five uh, for a pack of three. Here's a coupon, get it for free. And all we ask is, is that you leave us a review. So people mm-hmm. would go and buy this product, use the coupon and get it for free. And then they would go on and actually leave a review. And as long as they wrote the words, uh, something to the effect of, uh, I received a free product uh, in exchange for this review or something along those lines, uh, Amazon said, no problem, this is totally okay. And that yeah. lasted until I remember the dates like it was Pearl Harbor Day. It was October 3rd, 2016, when Amazon put the hammer down on, on that and said, you, you could still do these blasts, but you cannot do the review part, portion of it anymore. So that changed the game a little bit. And then Amazon uh-huh. then took it a step further shortly after that, where he said, you can't do these 100% off coupons anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they changed the algorithm to start uh, looking at what kind of discount people were getting. And that was affecting your ability to rank. And the whole game changed. And so companies like Zonblast then pivoted into like software. Uh, and so Zonblast itself wasn't a competitor to Helium 10 back then when I was joking uh, with Anthony earlier. But it was more of a, when the software came out, that became more of a, uh, it's like a keyword research tool and stuff. That became more of like a competitor. And uh, mm-hmm. you guys did that for a while. You were based in Asia at that time, right? Yeah, I was in Taiwan. In, Ta- in Taiwan. And then you, you did that for a while. And then uh, coincidentally, then uh, you, you, you came back to the States and uh, worked for Helium 10 for a little while as well. That's right. That's right. I actually moved to the States to take that job, moved to California and everything. I had an initial like Zoom interview with Manny and Guy. And then uh, had one with Boyan, and that was the one. He was like, hey, I want you here. And I was like, all right, I'm buying plane tickets. <laughs> awesome. So were you ready to come back to the States, or are you ready for a change? Uh, how, what was it like living in Taiwan? I loved it. I loved it, and I miss it every day. I can't say that I was ready to move back to the States, but the timing just kind of worked out because I had some family stuff I needed to attend to that I hadn't been able to attend to. And then when it was looking like my career options were going to shift, uh, then it was just like, okay, well, we might as well. And California's new because I'd never lived there before. So we gave it a shot. And California, I don't think was really for you because you ended up going back to your roots, back to Alabama. That's right. That's right. California didn't work out the way we had hoped, partially maybe because of California. Uh, especially if you've ever had to commute anywhere in California, you know, like it's, it's, it, everything that they say about it is, is true. It's a nightmare, but also, uh, COVID hit like that year, like in the middle of our lease and, um, and California went on full lockdown. And so there was just like a whole bunch of stuff that was like, oh man, uh, it's probably going to be easier if we just go back with family. And then you pivoted over to uh, Howard's company, uh, Signalytics. It, yeah, actually, um, at the time, it was, it was so funny uh, the way it worked out. At the time, you know, my prospects with Helium 10 were starting to look up, but the problem was it was, it was, it's, it was an office job, right? Like at the time, obviously everything's changed, but at this exact moment in history, 
it was an office job and I was doing an hour and a half one way commute. Um, wow. It was just, it was brutal. And wow. they were very kind of traditional in that corporate structure. Like, Hey, we, we really want you in the office. We do too much collaboration with the team and we really need everybody in the office. So that was kind of a deal breaker. It was like, uh, like this is literally like I love this company, but it's literally sucking the, the soul out of me to have to drive yeah. to this office every day. And then, um, and then Howard came up and was like, "I, I really want to, I, I want to do something. I want to do something, and you're the guy that can do it." And so he kind of came to me with an offer I couldn't refuse. I mean, it was a significantly higher salary, and it was remote. And I was like, I, you know, this is kind of a no-brainer for my family right now. So that was when, uh, that was when I. I left and then probably, but, a, but maybe a month later, everybody at Helium 10 was remote anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all things happen for a reason. So, uh, and, and now you're in Alabama and I, I just saw recently you posted, you're about to uh, move overseas again. Yeah. We're going to Portugal. Um, just waiting on this visa process. It's like we've already got an apartment there cause that's a requirement for you to get uh, a residency uh, permit. So we're definitely moving to Portugal. I just don't exactly know when. Now, a lot of people don't know, but Portugal really encourages, like, the, uh, they're big in the crypto space, uh, big in the mm -hmm. remote working space, and they actually are one of the countries that's actually encouraging people to come there and do exactly what you're doing, and the cost of living there is significantly lower, and a lot of people mm -hmm. say the quality of, uh, of life can be much better. Um, what, what is it that you're looking forward to most about Portugal? Uh, it's beautiful. It's super safe too. That was the big thing, right? Doing tons of research, like where can we go? That's like incredibly safe. Uh, Cause I have a family and they rank like number six on the world peace index. Um, they score really high for healthcare, but, uh, but we're moving to an Island. Like, so Portugal, the, the autonomous region of Madeira. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, Excellent weather, beautiful scenery, ocean all the way around. Uh, so, I mean, what's not, you know, what's not to like? And as an added bonus, currently, and, I, and I've heard this is going to change eventually, but currently uh, they don't tax crypto at all. Yeah, that, there's a magazine called International Living that I used to subscribe to because at one point I was fed up with the U.S. Uh, this is uh, about 2008, 2007, 2008. And I went all over uh, looking for like, where can I live that I'd be willing to live uh, that's going to be better than U.S. And I almost moved to Panama. Panama was rated yeah. number one uh, mm -hmm. on for expats from the U.S. because it's close enough to it's a two hour flight to Miami if you need some emergency medical or something like that or need to get something and the quality of life there and the, the benefits they have, uh, you know, coming in, you could live on $2,000 a month there with, with a full housemaid, a gardener and a, you know, a driver. And then movies were like half price and grocery stores were discounts and all this crazy stuff that, you know, as long as you could show that you had, I forget what the number was, you know, $30,000 a, a year in, in income coming in from wherever mm -hmm. you got all these perks and benefits. And I remember Portugal at that time was like number three or four, but I think it might've actually, I haven't seen the most recent ratings. It might've uh, uh, overtaken uh, Panama from what, I, from what I hear. Panama's really, actually we looked at Panama too. Panama's really good for American expats uh, primarily because of ease. And the reason is because A, a ton of Americans live there. B, Almost everybody there speaks English and see, they actually take USD. That's like an acceptable Yeah, they currency. call it the Balboa. So, so yeah, that's, that's why like, because, you know, the culture shock can be really hard for people moving from any country to a completely different country. You're like, 
I have to adjust to everything. New currency, new language, blah, 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 blah. But Panama ranks really high and it probably always will because of that. I mean, they have huge gated communities that literally yeah. everybody that lives in them are expats. Like up in David and that, that, that there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot. Now, have you been over to Portugal to check this out with your own eyes or have you just done mm -hmm. everything? Okay. So you've actually been on the ground there because before you went to Taiwan, you hadn't been there, right? No, we actually visited Taiwan once before. So okay. when we decided to move, I was like, all right, let's go on an Asian tour. And we actually went to Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, and we, we walked around to see like the school that we were planning on sending our daughter to and, and talk to some people. Um, so yeah, I mean, at least visited once before Taiwan, but Portugal, um, we, yes, we visited, we actually hired an immigration lawyer, talked to a real estate agent. Like we did all the stuff that you should probably do before making that kind of commitment. Now your background before this whole e-commerce is, is actually in, uh, is writing. I mean, you're known, you're known as a, a writer. Were you a journalist or, did, or have you just always been a, a naturally gifted writer or what, where's that come from? Actually, so I was working in restaurants forever and ever, and I desperately wanted to get out of restaurants and, um, like management or like waitstaff or what type of kitchen I've done, I've done it. I, I've, I've done it all. I've worked mm -hmm. in the kitchen. I've done waitstaff bartending. I've managed my family like this. It's a family thing. My mom worked in restaurants all my life and it was just something that, uh, I didn't didn't see the future prospects for, but as a high school dropout, a lot of, some people don't know that about me, but as a high school dropout, uh, you know, my prospects were kind of slim and I was like, I have to learn something. So there was actually a point in my life where I go, you know, in high school, I like to write poetry. Maybe I can take some of that skill and turn it into copywriting. So I actually made a conscious effort to learn how and teach myself copywriting. So I read all the books, like from all the greats, all the, the Mad Men era guys that wrote books about advertising and marketing and copywriting. And then after consuming that, I just started writing. Uh, I wrote like for my own little blog and I was just writing every day all the time as much as I could. And I actually spent an entire year applying for jobs to write a whole year. Literally every weekend, I would work during the week at the restaurant, and then every weekend, I would sit down and submit five or six or ten, uh, you know, my resume to, to, to different applications, and was rejected for an entire year until one company was like, the first one that didn't care that I didn't have a, a degree. And they were like, oh, you have experience with WordPress and you're a writer. Boom, you're in. And so that's, that was what I was doing for a living when this whole Amazon thing found me. And now that's one of the things you do for Signalytics, right? I mean, I've seen some blogs that are like super well researched and like super long that, that you've written. And that's, that's one of the things that you're doing for them, like their SEO and their blogs and the results of uh, different studies where you take, you dive deep into different things. Yeah. So I do that for Signalytics and that's really been the crux of what I've done my entire career. Most of, most of it's involved around marketing, but it's always been content, right? Content just because it fits so well with this industry too, right? Like you need somebody out there testing, testing the software or testing the algorithm, uh, you know, sell these units over here, see what happens. And um, so that's what I would do. And then I would just write about whatever I figured out. And then re I know recently you kind of uh, started dabbling into crypto and then uh, actually went uh, full deep dive in into the crypto space. Um, what's your opinion on now, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there in the press about that. 
uh, a lot of people say that that ship has sailed and, and, you know, sorry if you lost money and everybody's going to lose money. And I disagree with a lot of that. I think it, it's a natural shakeout, just like happens in any business, just like the Internet happened, you know, and all that rise, Google and Netflix and a whole bunch of others. Uh, what, what's your opinion on the crypto space right now? I think, um, well, for starters, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's exactly right. This is the, the natural shakeout. Um, the technology is not like the technology isn't something that is just, uh, hey, this is cool. We could do it or we could not. It, it, it really does uh, have use cases. And for that reason, um, there will be a reason for people to use various types of crypto. I mean, you kind of got to dive deep and explain stuff that a lot of people might not understand when you talk about like what is the use case for the cryptocurrency itself. But essentially, if you're familiar at all with Ethereum, you know that you have to pay a gas fee to like make it. So there's a reason why the cryptocurrency would be needed. And there's tons of reasons why you would want to use blockchain technology. And I know that you've dived into this and you talk about the the utility and function of NFTs. And that is precisely one of the many avenues for why, you know, blockchain is so important, right? Like all these functionalities that come from the technology that's built on on blockchain. And as long as the blockchain exists, there's a really good chance that the cryptocurrency is going to exist and be necessary for the blockchain to work so that the NFTs and all of the use cases are out there serving people. So I think it has a future. It's just um, right now, everybody pretty much looks at it as a speculative device for investment. The problem with the, the industry, uh, there's just been a, there's been a lot of fraud, a lot of people trying to get rich quick, uh, a lot of unsound businesses set up in it, but it'll, it'll shake out and uh, some will lose money. I, I have a buddy that lost $15,000 in the uh, FTX mm-hmm. Uh, deal, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. just down the drain. That that happens with early adopters. It happens with early things. Not everything makes it, but at the end of the day, it's it's here for good. Uh, especially Bitcoin. I uh, know some of the other, yes. you know, oddball cryptos and stuff. A lot of those aren't going to make it. Uh, just like when the internet came out, Pets.com, you know, didn't make it, and everybody was saying uh, nobody's going to buy dog food over the internet. And there's Furniture.com <laughs> or something. Nobody's going to buy you know any kind of thing over the internet. Now look at Wayfair. Any kind of furniture right. over there now. Now look at Wayfair. It, it's, it's gonna. It's just in a transition period. Uh, but like you said, mm-hmm. the the key is the Ethernet. I mean, is is the blockchain that's underneath it, and that's where NFTs come in. That's not really crypto. They're two different things. I mean, it employs mm-hmm. some of the same technology, but they're they're two different things. And people think of NFTs as oh, it's just a bunch of JPEGs. Why the heck am I going to pay a bunch of money uh, for for stupid JPEG? I could just screenshot. It goes way deeper than that. Yes, some of these projects that have come out are done by 16-year-old kids that know how to program, but don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to do yep. the back end. They don't know how to deliver on what they promise. They take the money and run, and it just becomes a, a shit show. And there's mm-hmm. a ton of that going on, but that will get weeded out. It's always going to be a little bit there, always going to be the dark alleys, but the, the, that'll get weeded out. But you look at a project like, a, I don't know if you're involved in Manny and Guy's project, Bulls and Apes. I don't know if you're involved in that NFT project or not, but I am. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I bought one of the eight, one of the uh, bulls that I bought back in uh, in May, May thirty first, when they did the initial mint, which they sold four million dollars worth in a matter of six days, mm-hmm. uh, with a money back guarantee. But they're real business people behind it with a real utility. One of those uh, at the time, Ethereum was a little bit higher than it is now. So in in converting to U.S. dollars, I paid 
roughly $370 or $400 or so. I can't remember the exact amount, uh, but if you convert it from Ethereum, it was 0.17 Ethereum. And I think back then mm-hmm. that would have been equal, equal to about 400 bucks uh, for a bull. I just recently sold that for the equivalent of $6,500. Yeah. Just last week. And you know because the project is solid, because of what they're doing, they're about to do some additional stuff with the apes. And I think this project is going to go, it's one of the few in the space because it's on sound principles and by people that are running it as a business, not as a get rich quick thing, uh, you know, up from the bedroom, it's, it's solid. And I'm doing, like you said, an uh, uh, entire e-commerce business with an NFT angle to it. Uh, I've talked about that in other episodes, so I won't go into it here, but I, I believe strongly that this is, if we can make this work, we may fail, but I think if we can make this work, it's going to be game changing. But speaking yeah. of game changing in this space, this the something that you're really serious about right now, and I'm just starting to dabble in it. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast is AI, mm-hmm. the, the power of AI. You know, we hear AI a lot. People use it as a as a marketing term, and you'll see some PPC software tools say, "Hey, let us manage your PPC with, and we'll use our AI." There's bullshit. There's no AI. It's just an algorithm. You know, it's not true AI, but there's been some stuff recently, and I've mentioned it in, in, in some of the stuff like in Helium 10 Elite and some of my talks, but I know you've dove in way deeper than me into this, but with Dali and MidJourney and ChatGPT and stuff. So I would like to, if, if you don't mind, talk about that for a little bit. What, what's your take on where this AI stuff is going and how it's going to impact e-commerce? Yeah. Especially as a writer. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> quick side note, I just realized that we've, we've talked and in us talking, we have pointed out my varied interests. And it went from Amazon's algorithm to NFTs and now to AI. And I'm like, I don't know. It kind of makes me feel like a polymath. This is cool. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent artificial intelligence is amazing. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of people that use that term and... The thing is, is I feel like it's a thin line, right? So people use machine learning algorithms and immediately they're like, well, this is an artificial intelligence. And yeah, you're not exactly wrong. This is a form of artificial intelligence. But I think that the line that most people are drawing, which has become abundantly clear ever since OpenAI and ChatGPT is, does it use natural learning, uh, uh, natural language processing? Because at that point, it acts like what we interpret as an actual AI. Uh, And most of them uh, don't. They're just really advanced uh, sets of machine learning algorithms. But we're moving into an era where the actual, like, what we perceive as AI, because they utilize uh, natural language processors, which is amazing. Um, Why is that so important? Because it allows the AI to actually communicate with humans in the way that they communicate, right? We don't have to know how to code. We don't have to write the algorithm. We don't have to set up the rules for the algorithm to do this or that. Like Literally, because the AI knows how to communicate with us, we can just tell it what we want and it can communicate back with us with either not, you know, vast knowledge. I mean, you can assume that up until 2021, programs like ChatGPT uh, had access to the World Wide Web. So vast amounts of knowledge, uh, uh, but also the ability to, you know, formulate it in such a way that it's easy for us to understand the message that they're giving across. They can they can make some unique connections. Uh, I mean, it's, it's still growing and, and obviously humans are going to be better at some things. Anyway, so... Nonetheless, the technology is incredible. It's definitely not going anywhere. 100% it is here, not only to stay, but it's one of those things that I believe is going to become a staple, right? People are, 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 it's the next step up, right? Everybody 
got involved with the web. There's a lot of people who thought that like Web3 would be the next step up. The problem there is this, the, the barrier of entry is too high. It is. Right? Web3 yeah. is not easy for people to, to no. grasp. It's not easy to get even crypto or NFTs. It's There's a process. You got to be technically oh, yeah. savvy. Your grandmother, your mother can't do this. It's, it's yeah, there, there's, a, there's a big barrier there that has to be broken down. Absolutely. And, and I do believe that one day it'll happen. But, but if we're talking about the next like step up, I think AI is it. And the reason why is because if grandma can't use it now in a couple months when it gets better, she will. Like it's, it's constantly becoming, that's one of the coolest advances. It's not just that it can perform your actions better. It's that it can understand the instructions you give it better. And interfaces are, are, are being built now to make it easier and easier to communicate. So instead of like a win, like instead of going into open AI and, and, and having to know to use their playground and then set up a, you know, prompt example constraint, you know, now we have chat GPT and then soon enough, we're going to have an app guarantee soon enough, it'll be an app and you can just literally like Siri, go to your phone and be like, do this for me. And it, and it'll have access to all of your phone's apps and it can do stuff like that for you. You'll be able to like explain in in plain English automations that you want the AI to control over your phone. And that's somebody that has zero technical capabilities. That's something that they can pull off. And that's the reason why AI is going to stick around and it's going to flourish. I mean, it's amazing what you can do. Like the, the big one that just came in the news uh, about a month ago or so is called ChatGPT. And mm-hmm. it's been around for a while, but they it's actually at a website called open uh, openchat.ai, is that right? Openai.com actually, I is think. That what, yeah. yeah. And then you get an account and then that gives you access to Dolly and to chat.openai.com. Yeah, and Dolly's for images, uh, and there's mm-hmm. Midjourney and there's there's several others that are, are pretty impressive on what you can do on images. Uh, I mean, on the image side, and, and there's ones coming for video uh, as mm-hmm. well, where you can actually, they'll actually create videos. You just type in text, you type in description. I want a video of a cheetah running across the road with a Lamborghini chasing it, but the cheetah is winning. Uh, mm-hmm. And I want this to be uh, in an African uh, safari type of situation. And it'll create a video of that exactly for you that looks totally real. Or it mm-hmm. could be a cartoon. You could say, I want it to be a, a cartoon, an animation. It'll do that. You can do all kinds of cool stuff now with, with images. And, and it, it takes a little bit of playing with. You know, I was talking to like Guillermo. Uh, we went to dinner in December. And he's been playing a lot with uh, Dali and uh, Midjourney from the image side. And he said, you know, at first it was just spitting back some, uh, some images that weren't so great. But then mm-hmm. once you really figure out how to talk to it and how to actually structure it and put the commas, you know, separating what you want... Is that you can get some amazing stuff, and from an for ecom, I mean, you could create images with this, you know, backgrounds or settings, or maybe you're hiring a photographer to actually shoot stuff. You can use this for an FPO, for position only. You know, in the old days, you'd have to draw something and say, "I want the kind of look like this," or you'd have to find a tear from a magazine and say, "I want the shoot to look like this." But you can almost create it now uh, with that, and you could even do product testing. You know, it may not be the final mm-hmm. images you use, but you can create ten different images. Uh, using the AI by typing in words of what you want. Mm-hmm. It'll come back with 10 different images. And then you can run that on a, on a PicFu or something, say, which one do you like? And then you can take the one they like, then go take that. Maybe it's not good enough quality off of the journey or, or Dolly and actually shoot it or create it. Uh, mm-hmm. But with the text stuff right now, uh, like you said, the, they just opened it up and there's been more than a million people actually sign up for a free account. 
the reason they opened it up, I was told, is that they, they need a human use case. They need to know, you know, they've been playing with it in, in the lab for a while, and they need to see how, how they can fine-tune this with uh, all these different humans interacting. And it costs yep. money. I mean, I, I saw somewhere, like, every query costs two or three cents uh, to the company. And so... Yep. Uh, I don't, and it's, it's can't go out to the open, open web. So it doesn't index like the entire internet. I mean, you can put URLs in there and it can recognize it and, but it can't really absorb all the information of the internet yet. So it's a, it's a, it's kind of a locked encyclopedia in a way, Mm -hmm. but, but it's super powerful. I can actually take it on Amazon and this is great for people who aren't uh, native English speakers, or even if you are, you know, sometimes I just heard someone on another podcast say it was takes their employee about two and a half hours to, to create a listing, to do the mm-hmm. bullet points and description, make sure they got all the keywords in there. You know, this is after all the keyword research and everything's done. And with, with these tools, you can do it in about 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. it may not be perfect when it comes out of there, but you can fine tune it or you can get different variations. You can actually go into this tool right now and for free, and you can say, create me an Amazon, this is what you type in. You're literally typing this in a little box, create an Amazon listing, for a vacuum cleaner, include the keywords, long handle, quiet, uh, strong suction, you know, so on, uh, large capacity uh, bag, do it in a, uh, you know, comma, in a, in a British uh, tone of speaking, comma, with a little bit of humor. Mm-hmm. And it will write your bullet, five bullet points for you and a product description and a title. And some, sometimes you get stuff that's, you know, you, you're like amazed, you're like, damn, a machine just wrote this based on that? You're blown yeah. away. And then sometimes you read it, and sometimes it'll get it a little bit off. Like I had, I did a test. I was playing with it the other day for a slow dog, uh, a slow feed dog bowl. And I say, create, create an Amazon listing for a slow feed dog bowl. Use these keywords. Uh, I want it in this tone. Make sure it's uh, got a call to action, a CTA. Uh, and it wrote something really, really cool. And But one of the, the bullet points actually said... Uh, this dog bowl is so good. We may uh, use it ourselves, uh, eat from it ourselves. <laughs> so I was, I was like, uh, so it's it's not it's not perfect. Uh, but you told it to be funny. I, I did tell it to be funny, but but it, it, it's a. Uh, it's amazing what it can do, and it can analyze. You know, you can go to like Helium Ten X Ray and da- analyze the reviews, and mm-hmm. you can download and say all the four and five star reviews. Just you know, download the ones from the last six months or something, mm-hmm. Cop- copy and paste that into, uh, or actually write a command in OpenAI in English that just says, analyze these reviews and write me an Amazon listing you, uh, emphasizing the five main points discussed below, and then paste all those reviews in. It mm-hmm. will go through there and it will find the, the general sentiment of all those reviews and actually write you a listing that will appeal to that, uh, to that, that Buyer, it's it's amazing what it can do. What, what's your experience with with playing around with it? This every day, I I like the the tools more. It's wonderful. So my experience has been very similar. But just like you described, what Guy was doing with the images, like you do the same thing with with ChatGPT three and OpenAI. You play around with how you talk to it. It also in OpenAI specifically, you can play around with the settings, specifically the temperature. Uh, which kind of dictates how similar or kind of off the rail uh, it goes based on the examples you give it. What do you mean temperature? There's a setting called temperature. Oh, I didn't know that. And this this determines how uh, similar to or how dissimilar, creative, and off the rail 
the output is to the example input you put in, right? Because you can do it, zero shot is just where you tell it to do something. And then temperature really doesn't matter. But if you, if you do like one or a few shot where you give it examples, then you can set it and it's either going to like mimic the example or if you put it all the way to one, it's a, a scale of zero to one. Or if you put it all the way to one, then it's like, all right, well, I got the loose structure, but I'm going to do this the way that I think it should be done. Um, and that's just, that's an open AI. So it's just playing around with this stuff. And it, it's what I call prompt engineering. So essentially what you're doing is you're, is you're figuring out how to communicate with the AI. Um, and it's, so people who are at least decent at writing, I'm not saying copywriter, I'm not saying anybody that makes content, but if you're like decent at structuring sentences, are uniquely qualified to get better at prompt engineering, which is really cool. So I've kind of, I've been playing around with all the tools and I kind of like, I mean, ChatGPT3 and OpenAI specifically, and I kind of figured out like, the evolution of how people can use it, which has been really, really cool. So for the vast majority of everybody out there, if you go into chat GPT-3, don't just tell it, hey, create me a, a listing. There's actually papers done on this and you can look them up and they will make you a better prompt engineer if you read them. But so how would I find those papers? If I'm listening, just type into Google, like a uh, Googling, like prompt engineering, uh, a prompt design, and then you'll see a bunch of articles written. And then sometimes their scholarly, uh, actual research papers written on the advancements in prompt engineering and prompt design. And those are the words that you want to use. Prompt engineering and prompt design is, is where people are, uh, either creating prompts or they are fine-tuning the AI so that it can take the prompts and do what they want with them. But uh, if you go into ChatGPT3, the best way to use it is to give it small chunks and then to iterate, right? So currently, the OpenAI machine, which is what ChatGPT3 is connected to, has a memory that spans back to about 8,000 words, right? So you've got almost a, like a, a, a novella, worth of conversation you can have before it starts forgetting what you guys were talking about. So in that, what you want to do is you want to break it down. So instead of saying, write me an Amazon list and you go, write me an Amazon title, start with the title, include this keyword, um, include this benefit, um, tell it the tone, like the more specific you can get about like what angle you want it to use. And then it spits something out. And then what you want to do is either use that or you want to tell it, Hey, that's good. But, and then you start iterating changes, right? But how about a different tone or how about make it no, not so long? So you do that until you have the perfect title. And then you take that title, put it in quotation marks and you say, write me five bullet points X number of uh, characters uh, or, uh, you know, over X number of characters. If you tell it to do under characters, it tries to make them as short as possible. And sometimes you want that. But if you don't want that, you tell it to do at least this many characters for the product. And then you put that title it gave you. And then it's going to spit those out. And you can iterate changes to those. And you do the same thing for the description. And in that iterative process, you will come up like it will. That basically forces it to give you its best work. Um, and you don't have to regenerate. You don't have to start over. Like literally it's all in the same, like I said, you have up to 8,000 words to do this. So it's all in the same conversation and it's constantly going back to what it's already talked about. And so it understands what you're asking it when you say, Hey, can you go back to that? 
Hey, bring that title back again. Can we use this keyword and that keyword out of it into the bullets? Hey, in the product description, can you tell a story about somebody that might've used this? Let's change that story a little bit. Like, you know, you're going back and forth and back and forth. And that is the collaborative nature of ChatGPT3. And that is how you get the most out of it as a totally normal user. Some, one of the things that AI has, it, there's some limitations though. It doesn't have sentience really. I mean, it doesn't, for example, like you and I both know that uh, birds can fly, but penguins, mm-hmm. they're, they're a bird, but they generally can't. So if you type in something ar- around that, th- there's some common sense rules that AI still struggles with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it doesn't know, does it know that newborn baby birds can't fly or birds covered in oil uh, can't mm-hmm. fly or birds who are injured cannot fly or a bird in a cage? You know, there's, there's exceptions and the AI is, they're still fine tuning some of that yes. uh, on it. So it's not, it's not perfect. It's not, but that's the reason why the iterative process works so well, because you can tell it, right? If it comes back to you and it, and it gives you a bullet that says, this is so good, we'll eat out of it. You can tell it, hey, humans don't eat out of dog bowls. Can you rewrite that bullet? And it'll go, oh yeah, of course. And then it like literally logs that bit of information, at least within the, the 8,000 you know, word limit that it's given you. And it says, all right, well, I'm not going to say anything about humans using this bowl anymore because I was just informed that they don't do that. Um, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know it cool went part. back on, on <laughs> conversation and use all that to, to fine tune. I, I had no idea. Uh, up to, up to 8,000 within one session, right? So you know how you can do new chat, but now you have a log of all your old chats? Yeah. Up to 8,000 words. It can access all of that information. Now, once you hit 8,000, it starts getting dumb on so you. So if, if I type in humans don't eat out of dog bowls in that session, then reprocess it. It'll eliminate that because it, it, saw, it saw it up in those 8,000 characters above. It should, uh, you know, it, it's still glitchy. So every now and again, like I have to, um, I've recently run into some issues, some limitations and what I'm like, basically I'm trying to get it to create JSON objects for me. Uh, but I want it to do it in a code block and I have like instructions that are kind of long. And, um, sometimes it forgets that I said, Hey, do it in the code block. So I have to remind it. Cause it'll write code. Like you're saying that for people to mm-hmm. understand JSON is code. It's, it's a, a script, basically, that will allow you to modify. It's, it's used a lot with like spreadsheets and uh, other, th- other things to actually modify what was originally written into the, into the code. So you can actually type into Jet GPT in t- basic English what you want it to do, not yep. even knowing how to code at all, and it will come back with the code. It'll come back with the code. That you can, you pick, can give it. to your programmer, that you can copy and paste into your, your website or, or whatever, and it will work. Yep. If you, here's the cool part, right? If you have just the smallest amount of knowledge about like how your website works, right? Like you understand the difference between HTML and CSS, you can go in there and make the changes that you don't know how to make. Literally tell it, Hey, I have this, I want to do this. Can you give me the HTML, you know, markup language for it? Or can you give me the CSS styling to, you know, to shift everything over to the center or whatever? Um, it's really cool. Um, the other thing that's really cool about ChatGPT is that it is also fully aware of what OpenAI is. So what I use it for, because sometimes it can get frustrating if you're trying to get it to do really complex things and you're like trying to figure out what the right prompts are and it's not understanding. So what I'll do is I'll go to ChatGPT and I'll say, hey, I, this is what I want to do. And I'm trying to create a prompt for OpenAI. Can you can you give me a prompt? And it will give you the prompt that you can then use to program the same AI that's fueling it. It's really it's crazy. Something interesting. <laughs> I think it was Leo Scovio that said this. That he thinks that the Amazon and some of these other 
guys are going to actually start using AI in the reverse way. We're using it to create stuff, perhaps, but they're mm -hmm. going to use it to analyze your listing. And they're going to say, you know, how sometimes people's keyword stuff, and they'll put a, uh, something that's really not totally relevant uh, to, the, to the rest of the listing, just trying to rank for that. And they're saying the AI is going to be able to identify that by looking at the, the bullet points and description yep. and coming up with a contextual, this is what this is about. But this keyword that you have here obviously doesn't really fit into that. Therefore, mm -hmm. we're going to penalize you and your listing because of that. Yeah, I have I, I have no doubt that that's, I mean, I, I almost feel like they could do that before. But just to give you an example of how like you might do that, right? So on the other end, we have OpenAI, which is a little bit different from ChatGPT because you don't have the iterative process, right? It's just instructions, but it takes a lot more instruction from you. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. You still are limited by the amount of tokens that you can fit into uh, the examples that you give it. Well, you as a totally normal person that doesn't even know how to code and doesn't have to know how to code can actually take a huge-ass spreadsheet full of a JSON list, right? A JSON list, by the way, that ChatGPT3 can write for you. Mm -hmm. And you can push that through an API on Postman, which is a free service you can get on the internet, and you can fine-tune the AI. So what you would do in this example, right, this is what potentially Amazon might do, is they might take 100,000 listings in a specific category. These are listings that we approve of. These are listings that have the right character amount, that have blah, 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 the density of the keywords is this and that. They take those 100,000, they turn it into 100,000 lines of JSON, and they feed it into the API. And they have a trained unit now in the model, DaVinci text, DaVinci, kitchen category specific approved listing. And then they use that model, and then they run... Everybody, you know, all these new listings through and the AI says this fits, this fits within the constraints you gave us. This doesn't fit within the constraints you gave us. And it's because they fine tuned it with existing listings that they approve of. And you, you and I can do that too. Where do you see this? How do you see this changing or potentially changing e-commerce and what we do as sellers? Or, or is it just a bunch of hype and a bunch of, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds cool and fun. Go, go play around, uh, enjoy it. Uh, but, uh, I'm going to stay here and and build my listings the right way. So my predictions on how this is going to impact e-commerce and specifically Amazon. I think for the people who use it right, it's going to it's going to be it's going to be good for them. Specifically, I think the biggest advantage is for people who struggle to get the nuance of language, right? Um, because there's a lot in the nuance, right? The little like cultural quirks in wording based on that language. And you can Obviously, you can do something like, you know, go to a service uh, and pay them to get a native speaker to translate your your listing, but that could be expensive. So what this does is it opens up a much more economic way for people to get their listing right. Even the people who aren't translating it, they can definitely use this to reword and to kind of like... If you're not a writer, do your keyword research, write your listing, but then go to ChatGPT3 and say, hey, can you, can you make this, can you insert some emotion? Can you evoke some emotion with this language or can you make it more persuasive? That's literally what you type in the ChatGPT, exactly what he yeah. just said. He, that's not a, he's not using that as a, a paraphrase. You, you would type, make yeah. this more emotional. Uh, and then yeah. uh, the next line would be paste your, your listing and then it'll mm -hmm. spit it out so within seconds, a more emotional version. 
So yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's going to open up and hopefully make the people who use it right, make their, their listings, and their, their e-commerce presence a little bit more appealing. What we're also going to see though, are people who are trying to shortcut it and they're going to probably churn out a bunch of crap and then try to put that on Amazon. And I think at some point Amazon's going to get pissed about that. And then we're going to probably see some crackdown, but hopefully we have some years before that happens. I know I, I like Brandon Young was speaking the other day where he's got a team in China that writes a lot of their listings because he's spitting out products left and right. Mm-hmm. But they're not native English speakers. And he's got a, a person that's a, in the U.S. that's a native English speaker that has to take every listing and, and go in and clean them up. You know, so it's yeah. not, uh, you know, in you know broken English or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And that person could be eliminated almost. Uh, Maybe. Or if I were that person, I'd be using AI to make my job a hundred times easier. Yep. That's yeah. <laughs> Some people say this, this technology is a Google killer. Like chat GP3 has one of the little catchphrases that a lot of the media was using. This is a Google killer, but Google has their own version of this. They just haven't made it public. They've been working on it for a while as well. It's just not public. What, what are your thoughts around that? Um, yeah, I think it'd be hard to kill Google because they do have their, their, I mean, like, they haven't been in the dark on this. Like they're, they're, they're building stuff. I think that like today, if somebody would just connect chat GBT three to the internet, it could, I mean, everybody would use it instead of just regular Google for sure. But, uh, it's too expensive for them to do that. It's not ready for that right now. And then by the time they are ready to do that, Google will probably have its own AI assist. I have no doubt, uh, because they can see right now, they can see that everybody like wants it. And the reason that AI assist in search is so cool and so desirable is because, you know, anybody that's used Google can see the limitations, right? Like all it does, is it just gives you what it thinks the appropriate website might be. But an AI assist would also try to interpret what you're trying to figure out, like your actual intention. Google can't figure out your intention. It can only figure out what it thinks is relevant. But an AI assist can figure out what your intention is. Like, what are you trying to do? Oh, I'm trying to build a, a chicken coop. Okay. Well, here's the list of websites that are going to help. And they're not all just like randomly saying, you know, indexing for the keywords, how to build a chicken coop. Um, and that will happen. And Google has to make that happen now. Because if they don't, OpenAI will do it for them. I think it's going to also be, at some point, be an uh part of the Amazon search. So instead of typing, if I'm going to the beach with my family, instead of typing, um, you know, I'm, and I'm looking for, I'm at, man, what do I need? I'm going to the beach. I don't have everything. I think I need an umbrella. I need a blanket. And I type in a beach blanket and look at the results. And then I go type in um, beach umbrella, look at the results. And I go type in cooler, look at the results. I think you're going to be able to go into the Amazon search bar and type beach trip, three kids, suntan, easy picnic. And mm-hmm. it's going to spit back, it's going to go analyze all the listings, and it's going to find the most relevant based on whatever factors that is, probably a combination of reviews and comments and questions and the way the listing's written. And it's going to spit back a page of everything, like almost a perfect match of everything that you need for your beach trip. You know, it's going to have an umbrella there. It's going to have suntan oil. It's going to, whatever it is, uh, it's going to have everything on one page. tied exactly to what you did. What do you you think? Uh, You think that may be coming? I absolutely could see that. Here's the interesting thing, though. Amazon already had the data to do that before. The reason they didn't was because it's been sufficient to just give you the people also bought section, you know, taking advantage of that cognitive bias, the bad wagon effect and all that stuff, right? But what's going to happen as, you know, mass adoption of AI occurs 
is we're actually going to be trained over the next decade or so to utilize search differently. And when AI assist becomes a normal part of our uh, our search utilization, then Amazon's going to have no choice but to say, well, this makes sense now. See, I, two years ago, it wouldn't have made sense because nobody nobody searches like that. Nobody They would have been like, you want me to what? And, and that would have been confusing. So that's why they never, like, they have, I believe they haven't done it, even though they absolutely could with the data that they have. Uh, but now, well, A, the tools make it easier, and B, they, they've had the data forever. Once people get used to that type of searching, yeah, I could totally see that. It would make sense. It would get people to probably buy more, and, and I, think, I think Amazon's paying attention to stuff like that for sure. Do you think there's any dangers? People always, when they hear about AI, they're like, ooh, these, these, uh, these robots, this AI is going to take over our life and, and, uh, and screw everything up. Uh, yeah, it's great, but it's also, what about the, the dark side of this? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I think that um, sci-fi movies have made people a little bit more paranoid <laughs> than they should be. A- these, the AI that we're talking about right now, like AI is like this, this overarching term. The AI that we're talking about right now, these are tools. Just like Microsoft Word is a tool, this is a far more advanced document creation device that does way more than just spell check. But it's still just a tool and exactly just for that. Um Will people be able to do bad things with it? Of course they will, uh, particularly deepfake. I think deepfake is probably the most easily, easy to manipulate kind of situation right now. And deepfake uh, to do is, something. for those yeah. that don't understand, deepfake is basically, is, is basically where you can imitate a person's voice and make it sound like that's, this is what they said or, or things like that or put a person in yeah. a picture that literally wasn't, in, wasn't there and looks real, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, video, video too. There's a... There's a couple of them that got really popular on like Instagram. This one guy, so he already looks a little bit like Tom Cruise, but he used a deep fake Tom Cruise mask, and like the dude look, it looks like you're looking at a video of Tom Cruise, and that's the kind of thing that you can you can imagine can be used for nefarious uh, effects. But uh, every every technology is going to be exploited in some way. Um, we're not at a place where uh, AI is going to like try to take over the world. This isn't a Terminator event. This is just a really, really cool piece of uh, tech that, you know, in the right hands, which should be hopefully most of us can just help make our lives easier. Like that's precisely what it's there for. And that's, that's what it's doing. I mean, even like in this podcast, I mean, if, if the podcast editor wanted to take the transcript, cause it automatically creates a transcript and write a description for the podcast, Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to go through and like, okay, what was this podcast about? And here's the key points. Let me write something. You could take the transcription of this podcast, paste it into ChatGPT and say, write me a 225 word description mm-hmm. or whatever you want it to be of the following, a uh, summary of the following. And it will spit out a almost perfect uh, summary yep. uh, of the, the entire podcast. Th- those are the kinds of things that just save an immense amount of time. That's just one practical use that we'll probably, maybe we'll try it on this episode and see exactly what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Summary is a really good one. Any, here's the thing about the AI, this technology, the output is as good as the input, right? So everybody that's trying to use it to replace themselves is probably going to have a tough time because you still have to have good inputs. But if you have good input, then yeah, the output's amazing. Like you have a great podcast transcript. It's going to be able to summarize that very well for you uh, because the input was good. And, and that is, you're right, one use case. There are several others, outlines, ideas, brainstorm, 
treat it like it's the other person in the room. That's what it gives you, right? If you're in isolation, because think about it, right? Why do we go to masterminds? You put yourself in a room with five or 10 of the smartest other people in your industry. And then you guys go to town and come up with all kinds of actionable you know, ideas. In the absence of that, AI is the smartest friend you're going to have. And that's what he's there for. I guess just to wrap this up, we could keep talking about this, I think, for, for hours. We can geek out <laughs> here for, for a while. Um, but as an Amazon seller, what are like the top three things I need to be paying attention to or maybe start dabbling with? Or what, what would you advise someone that's like listening to this and like, man, I never even heard of this stuff or I heard a bit about it, but this sounds interesting. I need to I don't want to miss out and be behind the curve. What should they do and how should they start to implement this or, or, or play with this? Uh, well, definitely, definitely, this does not replace the need for, you know, authenticity, be authentic, tell a good story from the perspective of your brand, build an actual brand. But outside of that, how you want to use the tool to make your life easier. Uh, it's really good for tweaking copy. It's really good for assessing your copy and giving you uh, pointers on on how to target keywords better uh, or make it more SEO optimized. Uh, so assessment for tweaking, and then it's really good for ideas, right? If you put in good inputs as far as the ideas that you're thinking, uh, again, it's the smartest friend you'll have. It'll come back at you. Uh, so for example, uh, another way, I use it mainly for like listing optimization stuff, but another way you might use it is take your catalog or take a catalog that you really like and you put it in there and you say, you know, this is the type of stuff that my customer base likes to use. What do you like? Give me an idea of, uh, you know, products that I could offer that my, that I could offer them next. And then just have that conversation, uh, with the AI. Cause it's got a database of like all world need knowledge up to 2021. Uh, so it, it could surprise you with some of its creativity. This has been uh, this has been fun, Anthony. I just looked up at the time, like, damn, we've been talking that's long. Uh, yeah. But, um, if people want to uh, learn more about this or follow you or reach out to you, um, um, how how would they do that? Yeah, um, you can actually hit me up directly. My email is Anthony at Signalytics.ai. Uh, check out the Signalytics blog. Um, right now, we're in the middle of a, a website redo, but once the website redo is live. Uh, I will be publishing probably regularly on this topic. Awesome. I look forward to uh, to reading that and uh, and having another chat with you uh, maybe six months or a year from now when this technology is even more advanced than what it is right now. Sure thing. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. So after listening to this episode, your first order of business needs to be go to openai.com and sign up for a free account and start playing with this. You're going to be totally impressed and surprised at how this works. Go to openai.com and start playing with this. This is going to have a major impact on how we operate in the future as e-commerce sellers. So it's something uh, to go ahead and get your feet wet in now and be on the cutting edge of this new technology. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. We'll get Anthony back maybe later this year uh, as this progresses and as pe more people are using this. And we'll, we'll dive deeper into uh, some specific use cases and how it's made a big difference for them. Hope to see you again next week. And I have another great guest that's doing almost eight figures on Amazon. He does a little bit of a private label and he also uh, does some resale. And he's got some really cool software 
tools uh, and scripts that he's developed to really help him fine-tune his PPC and a lot of other cool stuff. So I hope you uh, tune in for that episode as well. And don't forget, if you missed last week's episode with Bradley Sutton, that's a great episode. You'll learn some insights on uh, Bradley's background and Helium 10. It's a, it's a really uh, good episode as well. So make sure you don't miss that one either. That's episode 323. So until next time, I hope you have a great week. And don't forget today's little nugget. I'm going to end with that. It is the secret of living is giving. Simple as that. The secret of living is giving. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.